You may be seated. Uh, we're glad uh, that you're here today if you are visiting. Uh, we are looking uh, at the, the book of Romans, and um, <clears throat> we're really in a new section of Romans. Uh, what we've been looking at since August is uh, chapters 1 through 4, uh, where, where Paul is clearly teaching us that, that the difference between Christianity and other religions is, is a historical faith. It's about what God has done, about what he has accomplished. Whereas uh, many, uh, many religions, and, and frankly a lot that goes uh, for Christianity among Christians, is more of an inward thing, what I do and how I perform. And uh, so what we've uh, seen that Paul has laid out very clearly in the first four chapters is, uh, look, by the works of righteousness, no man will be justified. There are no good people. And being good is not going to bring life to you. It'll bring death to you, and it'll bring death to everyone else because you're so busy being good. And so what we have uh, uh, in the first four chapters is God's laying out that there's a righteousness from God. It comes through the second Adam, who is Jesus Christ. And that all those who put their faith in him will, will find peace and rest. And then he, he tells us that Abraham himself was justified not by works or the law, for he was 400 years before the law, or by religious ceremony because God called him before he was circumcised. Real clear so that Abraham might be the father of all of us who are here today who put their faith and trust in Christ. And that's why we have missionaries telling the world about this Savior. Chapter 5, we begin to have a shift. And so he begins to, uh, to really direct uh, uh, the implications of the gospel to you if you're a Christian today. For what God has done for you in Christ, if you're a believer. Now what we're going to see today is, is he's going to take us from Abraham all the way back to Adam. And the reason he's going to do that is to show us why we have security in the gospel. Now one last thing that I want to say about this is uh, perhaps you wrestle with this issue of Adam. You know, in the Hebrew, Avam means means uh, uh, the son, uh, means uh, the father of mankind, humankind. And, uh, but the question is, being, is Adam a literal person? Or is it metaphor? Is, is Adam just represent mankind? Well, what's going to be very clear, not only about our understanding of the gospel, but if you're a Christian, your security is to understand that if you destroy this man named Adam... You destroy the gospel. And you destroy the security that can only come through Jesus Christ because what you're going to see is a comparing contrast of these two men for you who are believers who wrestle with your own salvation and your assurance. And he wants to nail that down. And again, if you're not a believer today, I'm not saying that the, the gospel doesn't apply to you or, or we talk about uh, sanctification and security in Christ. So follow along. But this is to address many of you who are here today who have a false gospel that does not lead to action and peace and joy and working and participating in the church. And if you're in despair and you're discouraged, 
And nothing seems to change in your life. And there's no joy. I mean, why the heck would anybody want to be a Christian? But you see, when you begin to grasp what Paul wants us to grasp in this text, then I think it will bring unbelievable life, even if you're already a believer, to once again understand this. And so, with that, um, let's uh, let's, uh, look at our text today. We believe this is the inerrant word of God. And that's why it's printed in your bulletin. This is God's word. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For if... And the the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many transgressions brought justification. For if, because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more were those who received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we look at this text uh, that you have given us. You're explaining to us uh, our history. Everyone in this room, Christian or non-Christian. And uh, Lord, we are thankful that this, this text makes all things clear. And so, Lord, we pray for those who are not Christians today that they would understand the futility of uh, seeking a righteousness of their own because they are indeed dead in Adam. And, Father, for us who are believers who are losing the joy of our salvation to once again cause us to understand the magnitude of being crucified with Christ, that our sins were imputed to him. And how much more through his resurrection do we have life, yet though we still sin. And so God, help us understand. I pray for those who are discouraged today. Lord, give me the ability to to preach the grace of God to their lives. And Father, to those who've hardened their hearts that 
to consider that maybe they are not chewing upon what they already know. And Father, help them chew upon the gospel today. And we ask it in your name. Amen. If you're to study the book of James, uh, James uh, says something that should be a little bit disturbing, a little bit uh, disconcerting if you're a minister or if you are a pastor or, uh, or if you're a priest or if you're a Sunday school teacher. Because uh, he rightfully says um, there should be few teachers. Because uh, the teacher will be judged according to the things that are taught. Now, that, that makes sense because uh, what we teach, and when you're in a teaching position, you have an impact over the minds of other people and how they look at life and how they, how they uh, deal with life. Now, if you're, if you're here today and you're not a believer, we do that uh, in secular, the secular realm. We, we have uh, what we would call boards, right, for professionals because professionals have a profession that uh, are basically caring in many ways for the needs of other people, doctors. And so there's standards that are there, and, and so they have to be approved by a board to make sure that they're not killing people. Or we have lawyers who need to learn the law. They need to be experts because they're to be mediators for us. And therefore, they must be board certified. Or engineers like Jeff Allen who finished Clemson on the second row. He has to be certified as an engineer because he builds bridges. And it's very important that when we drive across a bridge that we are completely confident and put faith in the fact that the bridge is okay because the board has certified that Jeff Allen is capable of building the proper bridge. So, of course, that's true for theologians. And all of us at some level are theologians, but especially those who are priests, who are pastors, who teach the gospel. I was, uh, I'll never forget my first day in seminary class, and O. Palmer Robertson was my Old Testament professor. He's an Old Testament scholar. And uh, first day of class sitting there, and uh, he uh, gets up, and he's a very distinguished man and very brilliant. He would speak to us often in Hebrew which none of us understood, but he said, gentlemen, right down the road here today, they have the first day of classes in the St. Louis Medical Center. And there are men who will be there, just like you on the first day, who will study earnestly, diligently to make sure that they are capable with human bodies to, to heal the sick. And he said, gentlemen, let me tell you why I su su suggest that you are much more earnest because you are dealing with the souls of men, the eternal states of men. To put it another way, there has to be somebody in a Dow chemical lab with a white coat on making sure that if you have a headache and you take your aspirin, it's not strychnine. So rather than bringing great benefit, relieving your headache, you actually got something wrong in your aspirin and it's strychnine and it kills you. Well, let me tell you, there's always been that way within Christendom. There's always been two Gospels. 
Now, how do we know that? Well, well, we know that Jesus said that there would be others who would come after me who are not preaching the truth, many antichrist. The apostles talked about the antichrist who would be teaching a different gospel than the gospel once delivered. And so you say, well then, how do, you, how do we know if we're preaching a gospel that's been delivered once for all? Simply this, and we'll see it in our text. There is one gospel that is Christ-centered, God-centered. It is a gospel that says that Christ has come, Christ has substituted, Christ has rescued, and God is called. Rest in Christ. And then there's another gospel. And it's a gospel among all the denominations. And actually I've heard it preached from our own pulpits in the Presbyterian church. It's a gospel that is man-centered. And it's really called provenient grace, though Presbyterians don't believe in provenient grace. And it's a gospel that says something like this. This is what God has done. But this is what you must do. God has made salvation possible. But it's up to you to do something with this salvation. Now, that's called cooperative justification. And it is the dominant teaching in Christendom. But it does not lead to peace. That the Apostle Paul wants you to understand as a Christian. Because you see, anytime you have the he and the me, these two pronouns, right? He does this, me do this. The me always eats up the he. And anytime you have these two things convoluted, then all of a sudden it is a gospel of participation and it doesn't lead to freedom. It doesn't lead to life. I, 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 I realize I couldn't live that way. So the question then is, well, what do theologians who think that they're saying what the apostle says, what, what is that? If it's not cooperative justification, doesn't Christ do this? But don't we respond by our faith? Don't we, aren't we supposed to participate? And the answer to that is no. It's called forensic justification. And by the way, if you're not a Christian here, listen, you need to be justified. This is, I'm not talking Christian jargon here because you spend your whole life justifying yourself before the boards, before your family, before your spouse. Right? So everybody's seeking to be justified. But what's so unique about the gospel is he saying to all, Christians, non-Christians, believers, unbelievers, you cannot justify yourself. It is God who justifies. Now, if I, if I stopped here and just reread my text, I think that you would see, you go, wow. I think that he is saying what that text is saying. But what's important for me is your pastor especially for many of you who already know this, that you enjoy this. You begin to enter into this. Because what unbelievers need from us is not trying harder to be good Christians. They need life. And I'll tell you this, as your pastor, I have none in me. I'm always trying to figure out what I need to be putting to death to make sure I'm not kind of 
messing you over. And so as we come to our text, this is a significant text. And so there's really two things I want to say. And uh, and then I want to make an application. Okay? And here's the two things uh, that I, I want to say. Uh, first is this, that we, we, you can't save yourself. And I know some of you might be going, man, it seems like we hit this theme over and over and over again. It tends to be a theme there in the, the Bible. It's certainly the theme in our text. And the second thing that I want you to see is that, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to speak to you who are already born again people. You can trust him. I, I don't know what you did last night. And again, uh, some of you go, hey, when are we going to get to the sanctification part? Paul continues to try to pound in our heads, listen, forget sanctification if you don't understand your security. If you think that you can add anything to what Christ has already accomplished, you will not be holy. You'll be legalistic. Or you'll be a despairing person. And so, so we can trust in Christ. That's, that's the second point. Those are the two points. And then I want to make applications to say, hey, am, am I really getting this? Are the people around me beginning to really... The, the, the fresh airs of the gospel are passing through me because I'm going, man, it's, it's not that. It's not cooperative justification. But it's what God has done. Okay, so the, the, the first thing to see uh, is this. Why you can't save yourselves? Christian or non-Christian, nobody can save themselves. And you can't make yourself get in better position with God Because you're doing good things. No, the only way you get in a better position with God is if you're using the means of grace to go, oh, what did I forget about that? So why why can you not save yourself? Notice what he says in verse 12 and 14. This is mind-blowing stuff. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was, not, was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. It's not counted. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Now, in in these verses is where we we get the theological concept of what we call original sin that uh, that people begin to balk at because it's really taking things, as it were, off me uh, and, and basically saying that through this one man, Adam... I sinned. But, but here's the question then, okay? Why does he bring this up? Why does he bring it up here? He's already talked about Abraham and how we're all children of Abraham through faith. Well, remember, what he is wanting to do in this text in chapter 5 to 8 is to convince you as believers that you really are secure. John preached several weeks ago how uh, we, we have hope even in suffering. And so a lot of Christians might be going, wow, maybe I'm suffering because I sinned. 
Maybe I'm suffering because of something I did wrong. Or maybe I'm suffering because Christ, maybe I'm doubting that he's really raised from the dead. Maybe it's not all true. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Listen, uh, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through what's been accomplished. He starts using the we. And he wants to bring to us the security that we have in Jesus Christ. And so now he comes to this text and he says, uh, he says, in fact, believer, understand this, that uh, uh, it's, it's not about your faith, it's not about your works. It is basically about this. Uh, you are, a person is either in Adam or he is in Christ or she is in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then you need to understand the implications of that. So... Why does Paul say we, we cannot uh, save uh, ourselves? Well, it's because of this truth the, that, that you're either an Adam or in Christ. And that if you're an Adam, you cannot save yourself. Notice what he says here. He tells us why there's death in the first place. It is because of one person. It's because of what he has done. And a sign uh, that we... That, that that sin is in the world from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, he's saying, you know, Jews uh, and, and religious people are always looking to works to, to save themselves. And Paul says the reason God, he says it in Romans 7, the reason God gave the Ten Commandments is so you might understand that you're already dead in Adam. Now, do you sin? Of course you do. Anybody here not sin? Anybody here not sin? Well, certainly corruption comes. But when we talk about original sin, we're not talking about corruption. Corruption is the net effect of being united to Adam in that one sin, in that real guilt was imputed to you, and thus what flows out of that is the natural corruptions, and then you go to chapter 3 and, and uh, Adam, I mean, uh, chapter 4, and first sin is jealousy and Cain killing Abel, right? And then chapter 5, you have uh, what they call the death chapter. In case we didn't get that Adam didn't immediately die, you go to chapter 5, it says they lived so many years, some of them a long time. But they died, and they died, and they died, and they died. You're all going to die. Do you all know that? I'm going to die. And what is going to bring death in our life is not a car wreck. Uh, it's, it might. I mean, it, it, ultimately it's not. Or cancer, or heart disease. But everybody's going to die. And the reason you're going to die is because of this man. I mean, you have your actual sins and you'll be judged according to what you sin. But, but, but we all sin in Adam and we all died in Adam. That's, that's original sin. That's why we die. But he also shows us that this does come through the one act of one man. He says very clearly uh, in verse uh, 15, I mean verse 12, he says, uh, so death through sin, and so death passed to all men through this one. Why? Because all sinned. So, we all sinned in Adam. Uh, this is called uh, imputation, and we'll look at this uh, just in a little bit, uh, a little bit further. Uh, but he goes on to say that later in, in chapter uh, eight, uh, verse 18, where he, he says that um, 
Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Uh, that, that one act, we all sin in him. Now, do you, do you begin to understand why some people, uh, this is such a foreign concept, like as Americans? As Western thinkers who are thinking that, hey, you know what, I'm a free thinker. You know, I can improve myself. Now, that's not what this text says. And so, but he also says this. He's showing us that Adam is, 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 is like Christ, that. that he's a type of Christ. So we all sin in Adam, therefore Adam is somewhat like Jesus in this. He represents us. And so if you'll notice what he says in verse uh, 13 and 14, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Well, who is the one to come? The one to come is Christ, who is the second Adam. So what is Paul trying to say here? What Paul is trying to say is uh, this, that um, the reason there's death is because of this one act. Uh, You you say, well, uh, man, is that fair? I want to come back to that. But you know, you think about Noah and the ark and judgment coming. You ever thought about the babies in the wombs that hadn't done right or wrong? Or maybe the babies that had been born maybe a week before the flood came? Uh, He is saying that uh, uh, in our text very clearly that the judgment against all is because all sin in Adam. David says that in Psalm chapter 51 when he had committed uh, uh, adultery with Bathsheba and he is confessing his specific sin, that particular. And he had many more. But in, 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 in Psalm 51 he says, In sin was I conceived. And so the way we become sinners is not by sinning, but the reason you sin is because you're a sinner and you're united to Adam in his sin and in his corruption. So, before I move to the second point, do y'all understand that's why you can't save yourself? It it would be like uh, trying to pay off your father's debt and he has a billion dollars and you have two pennies. And they go, well, even if, you, even if you had a billion dollars, we've already sold the property. There's nothing you can do. And friends, until you understand this, you will never know the security that can come in Jesus. And that's what I want to come to as our second point, and that is this. Our text also teaches us why we can trust in Jesus completely if you're a believer. You understand what Paul's already said? Listen, you're already in your sons and daughters of Abraham. And, and, and now what are the implications of this? He's saying the implication is verses 15 and following. And notice what he says. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have grace, the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace. Verse 16 And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. Again, verse 16, But the free gift following man's trespasses brought justification 
For if because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So where's the likeness? The likeness is certainly not in the sin. The likeness is in what we call federal headship. What he has done, what he has done on your behalf. Um, what's interesting here is, um, is uh, how Paul uses once again the, the priority, a priori argument we looked at last week. If this is true, if, if God saved you when you were sinful, if he sent Christ when you hated God and were enemies of God, how much more will he bring life and give hope now that you're his friends and reconciled? That's awesome. But what we have here is six times. He says it's a free gift. Free gift to who? Free gift to all this morning who would come to Christ. Because you see, there is nothing you can do to merit any favor with God. You're simply to rest in what He has accomplished 2,000 years ago. You know, I didn't become a Christian until 1973. And, uh, you know, and the fact that I had a, uh, an experience with God doesn't make you a Christian. And I can tell you that from 1973, when I came to Christ, and I came to Christ dramatically, it radically changed my life, I'll tell you that. And, um, but do you realize that since 1973 until 1990, uh, what, what is it? No, it's 2000 something in it, yeah. You know, I was at Presbytery yesterday. That's where a bunch of Presbyterian ministers get together and rolling elders. And I was looking around that Presbytery, and there were a bunch of old guys in there. And I was the most bald-headed guy in the room. (laughs) But I digress. But but I've sinned since then. You understand that? Since 1973, all the way up to this point, I've sinned. I've sinned grievously. And I I bet between the the, the today when I talk to you about Jesus Christ and the next week I come talk to you about Jesus Christ again, I bet you I'm going to sin. I know you are. We all sin. But you see, here's the good news. Paul is trying to say your security is not in looking to your righteousness and looking to the good things that you're doing. And wow, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I helped someone today or whatever you want to put, put there. Now, actually, I would tell you this. It is in your desire to be holy. It is in your desire to be sanctified. It is in your desire to honor this Christ who came and substituted for you. It is only then that you understand your need for Christ. Uh, I had a relative of mine used to say, Well, how you're a preacher. If anybody knows I need Jesus, I do. And what he meant by that was, I, you know, yeah, I'm sleeping around, and I know you're not. Uh, therefore, I obviously need Jesus a whole lot more than you do. And, uh, and uh, of course, I mean, what can you say to that? Other than it, to, to go, you know, it is not uh, those sins of transgressions. These are the real sins. It's your omissions. It is the fact that somebody can tell me that, and here I'm a minister of the gospel, and I could look at them and go, you know what? I don't like you. 
you're just such an idiot. But I wouldn't say that out loud, right? You do it. You see, friends, until you get to the point to where you understand that either you're in Adam or you're in Christ, and that is called Reformed doctrine. That is called Augustinianism. Until you get to the point where you realize how hopeless you are and continue to see that, there will be no joy in your life. Because you see, the only peace and security that you can have is that you are united to Christ. Now somebody might say this. I might say, well, is that fair? Is that fair that when Adam sinned, he represented me and, and, uh, and therefore I, I'm dead in Adam? Well, the answer to that would be, well, you know what? Is it fair <laughs> that through one act of righteousness, what Christ has done are all made righteous on your behalf? So let me... Uh, so I think Paul's made a good case here. But I do, I do need to, to close by asking the question. Is that needing its way into your life? Some of you have been reformed people, but it's like, yeah, I got that. I mean, I've been in a PCA church. Is your life filled with joy? Is your life responding in obedience? Or do you just give in to your misery and maybe even say, well, maybe I'm a reprobate? Uh, are you, were you once red hot for the gospel and you're very involved in the life of the church and life of other people, but now you just, you're not? Well, let me tell you the implication of this. Uh, first, I think there should be awe. You should be amazed if God chose you in Christ. And that should lead to change. Secondly, it should lead to real holiness. Now, we don't really get to application to Romans chapter 12. And that's why I keep banging, trying to bang into our heads the gospel of what Christ has done. He set you free. But man, if you believe that, there should be some kind of joy. And, uh, and so the question is, why is it not there? I'm not saying I don't think you're a Christian. I, I wouldn't say that. But let me ask you, if, if this is true, should, should there be something like, wow, let me, let me let's, hey, John, let's you and I come up in my office. Let's talk about that. Or getting together in small groups. Like if you quit going to small groups, what are you doing? If you're not having fellowship with other Christians, what are you doing? So how do these things come? Well, I'll tell you, you read your Bible regularly. Sometimes I wake up, I don't read my Bible, and, uh, or, or, I, or I don't read my Bible. Or, or I, I just, but then, then, you know, I begin to sit and read the scriptures. And, you know, I read the scriptures, and all those promises are for us. To pray to, to God, talk to him. To, to, to get together and talk about what Christ has done. You see, this is the true gospel. Hallelujah. Do you know Jesus Christ? Has he transformed your life? Are you resting in him or just like, well, then repent and look to Christ and feed upon him what he's done. Your security's there. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks for this time together. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for this text. That uh, if, if, in, if, if in Adam uh, we sinned and died and brought condemnation to us, how much more through Christ's death and resurrection is there life and hope and joy? I pray for any who are here this morning that don't know Christ, that your Holy Spirit 
would uh, show them uh, Christ's willingness to receive sinners. And again, Father, for Christians who uh, are, are just not grasping hold of the implications of these truths, Lord, would you, uh, would you work in them to have fellowship with other believers, uh, to read the scriptures, to read books, uh, and to fellowship together? Uh, and Father, for, again, for those who are here today that, that don't understand the gospel, would you cause them to see the gospel is simply that Christ has come to die for sinners. He's been raised as a sign that all things are new and that they would look by faith to him. And uh, now, Lord, bless our time together as we sup and fellowship around Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen.